Welcome back to Couple of Criminals. This is Mariah. And this is Anton, and we are your average couple reviewing your not-so-average crimes. This episode is number 41 of a 50-part series that we are doing where the episodes are based on a different crime in each state in the United States of America and are in alphabetical order. So today's case will be based on a crime in the state of South Dakota, which also means that this is the last S state as well, since there was only two. It is, yes. Well, I don't really have anything new to discuss about us. I feel like we're pretty boring and it's same old, same old. But I do have something that's not as important, but it's the fact that Anton and I are obsessed with the Great British Baking Show. And I think we've mentioned this before. We definitely have, Like yes. when at the start of when we started the podcast. And we just finished the new season as well as the holiday series. And now I feel like I have nothing to look forward to in regards to like watching shows. I absolutely love Paul Hollywood and Prue and getting to watch the bakers each week. But dang it, Anton and I binged it way too fast. Even though we didn't really binge it because we just watched as the episodes came out every Friday. Yeah, but it's sad that it, we're definitely sad that it's over. Yeah. If you listeners haven't heard or haven't watched the great british baking show before we highly recommend it it is on netflix and we are not tied to the great british it baking is show honestly one of the best competition cooking shows out there yeah in addition to that one um the barbecue, the barbecue showdown. showdown yeah the barbecue showdown is also very good yeah i'm not gonna lie i feel like i get more hungry watching the barbecue showdown than i do watching the great british baking show i know i love barbecue so Me much too. and good the way brisket. that they can do it is insane yeah highly recommend both of those shows um we also did just start the great american baking show but i think i prefer the british one to the american one but we also haven't gotten too far into the american one i think we've watched we two watched episodes. one episode oh one wow so we are trying to give it a running start that is really all for us it is freezing here in utah so we really do spend most of our time indoors and usually on the couch Honestly, if you are a big show and movie watchers like us, I highly recommend purchasing like an under the desk treadmill or a small treadmill that's easily mobile because I get in like two to three miles while watching my shows and it's the best, especially in these cold months. I mean, I'm hitting like seven to 10,000 steps and I'm watching my reality TV shows at the same time. So highly recommend it. Okay. Obviously, I'm a blabber and can talk to a rock. So that is all I have today even though none of it was truly substantial, like, at all. Really, at all. Well, enjoy it, listeners. Anton, please go ahead with your holiday joke of the day. You only have a couple more. I know, I think it's this one and the one next week. Yeah, I mean, but maybe you'll do a New Year's one after that. I we'll guess see. we'll find out. Yeah. All right, Mariah. How does Christmas Day end? Probably sad because you've opened all your presents, but that's the literal one. With the letter Y. Am I going to have to explain <laughs> this to you? You want to know something? I'm like... Can you spell the word day? Yes, I can spell the word day, but I was thinking, how does Christmas Day end? I was thinking D, not Y. But then it, Christmas Day is the like the phrase that you're doing. Wow, yeah. Listeners, I am blonde, and that was a blonde moment for me. Or maybe it's just because it's the end of a long work day. Well, we'll give it a little bit of both. Or pregnancy brain. We'll just shoot it to that All one. All three. Yeah. Okay, well, good joke. I always tell you that anyways, and that was a good joke. 
Okay, well, today's case is from the state of South Dakota, obviously, and I actually had an assumption going into this regarding South Dakota and wasn't sure if it was correct, but lo and behold, I wasn't wrong. So, Anton, what do you think are the top five least populated states? Clearly, South Dakota. Are you going to do it in order? No. Okay. There's no way I would know this in order. Okay, go ahead. I mean, it's got to be some of the... The northern states like up that way so probably yeah so south dakota maybe even north dakota iowa mm, two no. more yeah we'll stick with it why not okay two more nebraska and wisconsin no way wisconsin that's wrong okay those are my five. Okay. Well, just so you listeners know, I was not giving Anton like a poker face or anything. I was just sitting here listening him, not giving him any hints. But the top five, and these are technically in order from the source that I had. One is Wyoming. Two is Vermont. Three is Alaska. Four is North Dakota. And then five is South Dakota. I should have guessed Alaska. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. There's not off. a lot of people that live there. But those are the top five least populated states in America. I figured... Rhode Island would have been up there for it being so small. But I'm assuming it's probably highly populated. Yeah. Like it's a Very dense well population. Be. Kind of like New York City and places like that. But not incomparable to New York if you City. Look at but the it's size just dense. of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so like I mentioned, I had an assumption on South Dakota. So South Dakota has a whopping population of around 890,000 people. So they don't even hit a million. And my assumption was that South Dakota was going to be one of the top three least populated states. And even though that was wrong, clearly, it was in the top five. They have less than a million people living there? That live in the state. Which means that was the fifth one. So all of the other states are even smaller. I mean, I understand Alaska. Who wants to be in the negative freezing cold but and it being states... 20 hours of darkness? But the states that I mentioned are also like Wyoming. Who lives there? It is just more smaller communities. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so today's case is specifically from a city called Rapid City, South Dakota. It began with Tina Marcotti, who was originally born in Manchester, New Hampshire, but at the time of the crime was residing in Rapid City, South Dakota. She lived there with her long-term boyfriend and partner, Patrick, and the two of them had three children together. Tina and Patrick were not only long-term partners, but they were also co-workers. The two worked together at the local Black Hills molding plant, which was a wood processing plant. On June 24, 1994, Tina was working the night shift at Black Hills molding, and on this night was grading lumber. Her shift was set to end at 12.30 a.m., and then she would be headed home to presumably get right to sleep. On this specific night, however, instead of clocking out and heading straight home, she heads out to her car to find that one of her car tires was flat, and it wasn't the kind of flat where she could maybe risk driving it home and dealing with it the following day. No, it was flat flat, which meant she was stuck at her employer. Like someone slashed her tire? Well, presumably we don't know at this point. We All we know is that it's flat. Okay. Well, but for us, I mean, the amount of times... I am just making the assumption that someone slashed your tire. Okay. Yes, and obviously we know the podcast that we're listening to. But with us, we have had probably three or four times where we've had a nail in the same dadgum tire on our Honda. That is so true. And it is, it's a slow, it's a slow flat. 
it's not something where it's immediately you can't drive the car. The amount of times it's happened, it's usually been on road trips and we just go in and we drive it in and they easily patch it up. But like with hers, how it sounds is it was completely, well, it was completely not drivable. So at any time of need, she calls her best friend, Vicky, which Vicky, of course, was asleep at the time because this is after 1230 a.m., but quickly answered her phone when she heard it ringing. Once Vicky picked up the phone, she heard her friend on the other line who sounded immediately frustrated, and she explained the situation with her car tire. I mean, who wouldn't be frustrated over a flat tire? Um, not Especially gonna lie, at 1230 At 1231 a.m., yeah. I would be a hot mess. Vicky, being the amazing friend in person she was, said to give her just a few minutes to get dressed and that she would head right over to pick her up and then take her home. What a good friend. I mean, she just didn't go in what she was wearing. I'm assuming she was probably sleeping. Uh, yes, she was in bed. I don't know what she was sleeping in, but obviously you're not going to go in PJs. your PJs. I'm going to say PJs. Yeah. However, before Vicky even had a moment to get up and get dressed, Tina stated that a car had pulled up into the parking lot and Tina was going to go out and check who it was and maybe see about some help. Vicky waited on the other end of the line while Tina went out and spoke with whomever had pulled in. A few minutes passed and Tina suddenly gets back on the phone and said that Tom had pulled up and was going to give her a ride home. Vicky, being a good friend, of course, asked who this Tom guy was and Tina replied saying that Tom was an old co-worker and that was that. Vicky and Tina got off the phone and said their goodbyes. Vicky at home going back to bed and Tina presumably with Tom, a trusted previous co-worker, now heading to Tina's house for her to go to bed. However, the phone call between Tina and Vicky would be the last time anyone would ever hear from her again. Now, who is this Tom guy anyways? The previous co-worker that Tina had mentioned was that of Tom Cooter. Tom also lived in Rapid City and lived with his wife Nancy and their two children. He had previously worked, like Tina mentioned, at Black Hills Molding. So they knew each other casually, like in passing. They weren't, you know, best friend employees. Rather, they just knew one another or knew of one another. Obviously, it was like a casual relationship. I mean, relationship. yeah, it was like a You're just an employee relationship. Yeah, like yeah, a workplace relationship. Tom had left Black Hills Molding and was now working as a forklift driver for Forest Products Distributors. Now, I don't know about you, but what are the odds that Tom pulls up to the parking lot conveniently when Tina is off her shift at 12.30 a.m. and is stuck with a flat I tire? I was literally just thinking that. Like, how he doesn't does this work there guy, anymore. Yeah, like, why is this guy just pulling up to his old employer at a random, at hour. A random hour in the middle of the morning? Yeah. For me, like you said, it immediately throws red flags. I'm also not going to lie. When you said Tom, I first thought of Tom Riddle. From Harry Potter. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why either. <laughs> we haven't even watched Harry Potter recently. It was on at the gym today. Oh, nice. So there is no such thing as coincidence where someone who doesn't even work for the same employer is now in the parking lot offering his assistance in the wee hours of the morning. For me, it is a hard no. Well, the following morning after Tina and Vicky's phone call, Vicky decided to call Tina's house to confirm she had made it home safely. Again, a great friend. Uh, very smart, yes. Yeah. And instead of Tina answering, it was Patrick who said that Tina had never made it home after her night shift. Of course, Vicky proceeds to explain the details of the call that she had with Tina and the flat tire, and of course regarding a Tom who conveniently had pulled up to the plant and offered her a ride home. They both only knew of a single Tom that they had previously worked with, and that was one Tom Cooter. 
Patrick decided to give him a call, and Tom agreed to meet at Vicky's to discuss further. Patrick, Vicky, and Tom all met at Vicky's home to discuss the events from the previous evening. Tom was defensive the entire time, stating that Vicky must have heard it wrong, that Tina most likely said Ron and not Tom, and that Vicky was a drunk. She immediately responded with knowing what Tina had said and that she for sure said it was a Tom that she used to work with. Tom and Ron are like two totally different names, too. Yeah. Like they don't even come close to sounding similar. No, but of course, he's being defensive, so I feel like you use like any tactic that you can. Yeah, of course. I'm just saying, though. Patrick knew that Tom was acting strange. Patrick knew Tom. So when he was acting defensive and bizarre, he could identify it. And Vicky did too, but he denied any involvement with Tina through and through. After the discussion at Vicky's house, Tom ended up urging Patrick to go file a missing persons report. So this is coming from Tom. Tom is now urging Patrick to go into the police station to file a missing persons report. And that is exactly what they did. The two went together to the police station and reported Tina as missing. They both went. Yes. The first thing that authorities wanted to do was go check out her car at the plant's parking lot to be able to confirm the story. Upon arrival, they quickly found Tina's car exactly where it should be, but instead of finding a naturally flat tire, they found a tire that had been deliberately slashed. There were significant puncture marks in the tire that showed it was purposefully done by someone and not by a nail or something simply by accident. Because of the tire slashing, they automatically assumed that foul play had been involved. Well, of course you would assume that. Yeah, because somebody targeted her. And who was the last one to find her? I know. So with Vicky's phone call and Tom's name being mentioned, they brought Tom down to the station for an official interview. Why did they need to bring him down? He was already there. I know. Oh, I guess they were Yes, at they were the... bringing him down from the parking yeah, lot. Yeah, from the parking lot. Duh. They immediately ask about his involvement in Tina's disappearance, but... Like with the discussion with Vicky and, uh, Vicky and Patrick, he denies any accusation. He did not take her home, nor was he even at the plant that night. His alibi was that he had played in a softball game that night and then later gave a friend a ride home from the softball game in which he dropped the friend off around 11.30 p.m. And they corroborate. This friend does confirm that he was dropped off at home at 11.30 by Tom. He went on to say that his car broke down and he was stuck fixing it for three to four hours, which conveniently is the time frame of when Tina was disappearing. I was going to say, like, that doesn't, that, yeah, is before what happened, but not when she went missing. Yeah. Kind of. The issue with this was that Nancy, Tom's wife, said he never called home to update her about the car and that he would be significantly later than presumed. Like, he came home at 3.30 a.m. Which, again, again, huge red flags. Four hours unaccounted. Yeah. And during the time that yeah. Tina was missing. Now, if my car broke down and I was going to be that late, the first person I would call would be you, Anton, and most likely AAA if you didn't answer. Because everyone knows I don't know what I'm doing. And in addition to that, even if you knew what you were doing, you keep your loved ones updated, especially your spouse. Yeah, especially if you're coming home super late like late late or in the morning yeah even more than just not calling nancy to update her when he got home at around 3 30 a.m he told her of the car situation and then immediately went into their washroom and washed the clothes he was wearing as well as the shoelaces on his shoes and this also included the supposed softball uniform from the game 
He claimed to Nancy that he was washing and soaking the grease that he got on his clothes from working on his car for a few hours, which didn't alarm her. It was a valid reason and nothing out of the ordinary for him. But the shoelaces, that's what intrigues me. Yeah. Like, I don't know of many people who deliberately wash, wash their, their shoelaces. Shoe. Maybe shoe fanatics. I, those would be the only people I could think of, but this guy doesn't strike me as a shoe fanatic. No. As the interview went on with police, he told them the exact place where he had spent the supposed three to four hours working on his car, which was behind a local grocery store. But when they asked potential witnesses and neighbors to corroborate him being there working on his car, at least three people came forward saying that there was no one there during that time frame and that they would have clearly seen someone if he was there. But I, like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, so this is between supposedly 11.30 to 3.30 a.m., would you really? I guess it just depends on how well lit up this area was. There was streetlights and everything. So, but then again, it's a potential of him being seen back there if there's someone who can see back that way. Yeah, and it's assuming that people are night owls, and I'm not a night owl, so... You're not, maybe but they I were, am. Maybe people were up at that time. So because of these witnesses, a beautiful hole was made into his alibi. Everything up to this point was suspicious, but not hard evidence. They didn't have enough to arrest him, but they did have enough to prove he was a significant person of interest and was most likely involved in the disappearance of Tina. So they decided to do some more digging and found out that Tom had a dark side to him and that he could be easily angered and could also be very moody. He also had previously been charged with burglary and assault and was known to abuse drugs and alcohol. So this Tom character isn't your saint of a previous co-worker. He had a past that didn't make him appear any more innocent to detectives. On Monday, police showed up to Tom's work at the lumberyard and officially disclosed to him that he was a suspect in Tina's disappearance and told him that they had found DNA in his car and were going to test and compare it to Tina. In addition... Did you ever say what year this happened? Yeah, 1994. Okay. In addition, they also invited him to sit down with them again and go through another formal interview the following day, which he did agree to. And when police ask if you want to come down to the station, you can say no. It is your legal right, unless you're officially convicted. Unless, yeah, unless they have like mm -hmm. a warrant. Yes, unless they have a warrant. But he is doing these voluntarily, so he could have said no. But, but he said yes again, both times. You gotta then... Think that it would only arise more, more suspicion. suspicion upon himself if he yeah. says no. However, the following day, workers at the Forest Products Distributors found Tom's body crushed by a forklift. Two workers were starting their morning shift when they found that Tom's skull had been crushed under the rear wheel of the forklift he was operating that day. Authorities were immediately called and wanted to confirm if it was possible this was somehow an accident, and it was shown that the parking brake of this specific forklift was not working. But that would mean that Tom, who was known to be very confident in his operating abilities, would have just let the forklift slowly roll over his head and not try to dodge or quickly move out of the way. So that's the implication. If the parking brake isn't working, they're assuming that if this was an accident, he, he just, just let it happen. Mm -hmm. But if he didn't, that's also an excruciating, deliberate way to die. Like a, a very strange way to commit suicide. Yeah, it is. Yeah. After further investigation, authorities came to this conclusion, or this theory, in better words. They believed that Tom knew they were onto him with the disappearance of Tina, and he couldn't handle it. 
So he decided to load his forklift with about a ton or so of lumber and then put the lift on an incline and then quickly jump out and put his body or head in the machine's path going downhill. Tom's body was taken to the medical examiner's office who concurred and ruled his death was a suicide. Nancy, Tom's wife, never believed that it was a suicide. She believes that Tom would have never left her or their kids and that someone out there killed him and attacked Tom that morning in the lumberyard and then placed his body in the path of the forklift. However, investigators never believed the murder theory because they said that there were no signs of a struggle and that there were no drag marks to indicate that the body was drugged towards the forklift path. Yeah. With Tom now deceased, Tina's case was left to speculation, especially since there was no body and now no living probable suspect. Authorities theorized that Tom had shown up to the plant and slashed Tina's tire and then waited for her to get off work, and then when he saw her in distress with no ride, he quickly pulled up and offered her a ride home, but the downfall of this plan was that she had been on the phone, and she had disclosed who was taking her home. Once in the car, investigators believed he probably tried to make an advance at her, which, when she rejected, this rejection flipped a switch in him that then led to her murder. But without a body and the suspected perpetrator, they were only left to theorize and speculate at this point. About a year and a half later after Tina's disappearance, Unsolved Mysteries decided to come to Rapid City, South Dakota and showcase her story. And wow, did the unexpected happen. While filming the story, a heavy equipment operator at Forest Products Distributors was moving a pile of scrap wood in a remote area of the plant's yard, when suddenly, a few pieces of this specific wood pile fell, and when he jumped out of the operating seat and went to go fix the pile of wood, he ended up finding a decomposed body in the midst. After retrieving the body... What are the odds of that? I know. Like... That is just crazy that they're literally doing the unsolved mystery and they happen to stumble upon a decomposed body. After retrieving the body, they were ultimately able to confirm that this discovery was in fact that of Tina. The coroner's report concluded that she had been murdered and that she died from blunt force trauma to the head. Both Tom and Tina's cases are officially closed and investigators say that if Tom was still alive, he would have been charged with Tina's murder. I mean... Just the location of her body, I figured, would it's have a almost given it away. That mm-hmm. was him. Now, that is the case of Tina Marcotti. What a case. I know. I have a question for you. So, based on the information of the case and everything I told you, do you think if they would have never found the body that they would have had a strong case against Tom? It's not typical that people who... I mean, I guess it's not typical that if there's no body that people will get convicted. Yeah. You see it very rare that someone... It's harder. Yeah, it's definitely harder. For a prosecutor to be able to convince a jury that there's no reasonable doubt that this person did it but have no body. Yeah, it's, it's definitely harder. So, honestly, I don't think that they would have been able to because it's harder to be... All they got to pretty much say is, well, where's the body and where's the proof that she was murdered? That's the thing to me is because it was an unsolved case and because Tom passed away under suspicious circumstances, unsolved mysteries came and this happened. And so that's why I think, I mean, 
they believe that Tom would have been convicted and maybe they would have come out with more proof in DNA. Like maybe his car could have had blood. Maybe the shoelaces they could have, you know, gotten blood off of. But without the body, it would have been a very hard case I to prosecute. Would, yeah, no, it would have been very hard to prosecute the case against him. But I think that they could confirm now that it was most likely Tom who did it because of the location of the body, like you said. Yeah, and that's, I mean, they found it at his place of work. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for listening to Couple of Criminals. We look forward to you being back here next week where Anton will be reviewing a crime from the state of Tennessee. Until then, this is your Couple of Criminals. Signing off.